0: Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in his word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, today we're jumping back into our series called Not Home Yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not home yet. We're all on a spiritual journey. We're all on a journey through life. But we do all have the same destination. That destination is heaven. That destination is to be with Jesus. That destination is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And today's message particularly is simply called living a godly life in a godless world. Do you ever feel like you're trying to live a godly life in a godless world? I told the church, I told the prayer group this morning, when I was growing up, I felt like I was trying to live an ungodly life in a godly world. But now, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to live a godly life in what is becoming an increasingly ungodly world. I mean, from the commercials you see on television, to the uh, decisions that are being made in our government, to the, just the, 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 the processing, the thinking on people's minds and culture. Uh, our world is becoming more and more post-Christian, more and more ungodly. But how we understand that the mindset of the world has never smothered the intention of God for His people and His church? So today I want to talk to you how we can live godly lives in an ungodly world. You know, Jesus said it like this in John chapter 15. He said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Can I say that again? You do not belong to the world. You do not belong to the world. If you ever feel different, if you ever feel like you're going against the, the, the grain, you feel like you're trying to swim upstream, if it feels like your convictions of the Word of God are, are causing you to, a little bit of friction with those in the world today, be okay with that. The Word says you don't belong to the world. But Jesus says, but I've chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. This scripture reminds us that God's called us to be in the world, but not of the world. In our text today, we're We're looking through the book of 1 Peter. He's reminding us that we are not home yet. He's reminding us that uh, we are actually called to be strangers in this world, foreigners in this world aliens in this world, whichever those words uh, sound best to you, resonate with you, those sort of the, the different terminology he uses to describe how the people of God should be represented in the world that we live in today. And so from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I, and I don't want to scare you, but I'm preaching from two different chapters this morning. So uh, I promise to have you out by 5 o'clock. But here's our text this morning. It says, finally, all of you, did you hear that? All of you all of us, no exception, all of us, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, and humble, and humble, and humble. And if you think you're the most humble person in the world, then work on it, all right? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened by what frightens the world. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I want to say it again. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Do you know what that word Lord means? It means He's the decision maker. He's the deciding vote of your life. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Father, we love you today. Help me this morning to live a godly life in what seems to be coming an ungodly world. Help us to be the church of Jesus Christ that lifts up a true picture of Jesus in a world that is becoming more and more antagonistic and hostile to the things of God. Lord, anoint me today to speak the words of God, the words of God alone. Anoint our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. And give us the boldness, the courage, and strength to respond and walk out what the Holy Spirit would say to us. And we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room say amen. amen. Peter spends the last half of chapter 2 in the beginning portion, mostly chapter 3, talking about how we can live godly lives in an ungodly world. And he, he says things like this. How to win people over without words. Live in such a godly lifestyle that if someone was to speak ill against you, they would have to lie about you in order for it to be true. Godly lives. He tells us to always be ready to ask people When they ask, what is different about you? How many understand we should be living such different lives in the world that it causes people to ask a question about what is different about you? Why would you act that way? Why would you forgive that person? Why would you make that decision? Why would you stand for that issue when it seems like everyone else is flowing in the wrong direction? direction. Peter is serious about us living different lives, not for the sake of being different, not for the sake of being seen for our purposes or our glory, but for the purpose that Jesus Christ can be seen in you and in me in our everyday life, whether we're on a platform such as this or we're, just in a, or if we're, we're one assembly worker in a line of a thousand people that we stand out because Jesus in us is being seen today. There's no better witness to a world without hope than a person like you who's filled with the hope of Jesus. Peter kind of gives us a game plan how to reach groups of people who are considered ungodly. And there's three different passages. We could probably preach a sermon from each of the passages, and I'm clumping these three into one today. But you could easily have had, I could easily preach three different sermons to you today. I'm not going to, but if I was going to, sermon number one would be this. How to win your unbelieving spouse to the Lord. So if today you're in the room, you have an unbelieving spouse, this could help you. Or how to win an ungodly employer to the Lord. Or how to influence an ungodly culture with the gospel of Jesus. See, living a godly life in an ungodly world is not about us surviving until Jesus comes. I'm thankful for storm shelters. I've used mine a lot lately. Right, The storm is coming. I go in there and I shut the door. When I come out, I pray the house is still there. Storm shelter. Some people believe that living a godly life in a godless world is like entering your spiritual storm shelter. We're going to hunker in our bunker and we pray that when we come out, when Jesus comes, we're still standing. But friends, I'm here to tell you, God has not called us to survive. He's called us to change the world in which we live. Living a godly life in an ungodly world is not about us surviving with the gospel. It is about us taking the gospel to to the world who is perishing around us. Well, how can we do that? Well, before I give you the answer this morning, I just want to ask a favor of you. I don't ask this very, very often. This may be the first time I've ever asked you to do this before, but I'm going to ask you today. I'm going to ask you don't leave. They're my first point. <laughs> I only say that because I know you're going to want to. Okay? You're not going to like it. The way I know that is because I don't like it. But if you leave during the first point and you say the pastor said, then you're going to be, you're going to be lying because you don't, you're not going to know all of what I said. I mean, you're just saying part of what someone said is dishonest. So now that I got you primed and ready to not like what I'm about to say, let's say it. If we're going to live a godly life in an ungodly world, the first thing we've got to do is determine that we're going to be the best Citizen, we can be. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Not because it feels good, not because I want to, not because I like it, not because I agree with it, not because whatever. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether it's to the king or the supreme authority. How can I be the best citizen I can be? It all starts with this one word that no one I've ever met loves, and it's the word that's called submission. No one likes the word submission. I learned this word. We had a different word for submission when I was a kid. It was the word uncle. (laughs) My dad and I would wrestle on the carpet, and he would put me in the headlock or sit on top of me, you know, I was 30 pounds, he was 300 pounds, he usually won, and he would stay in that position until I finally submitted or I finally said, uncle. All right, until I said, okay, it's gonna be your way. Listen, the word is saying that we're not supposed to have to be forced in submission, that we should voluntarily honor those that God has put in our life for us to serve. I wonder, how many of you have determined to be the best citizen you can be For the sake of the gospel. How many of us have determined that we're going to be the best worker on our job site? For the gospel's sake. How many of you decide i want to be the best employee in the marketplace in which I work? For the sake of the gospel. Not so that I can get a raise. Not so I can get, get, you know, attaboys or pats on the back but so that Jesus can be seen in my life. You know, I believe that when someone hires a Christian in the workplace, when they find out that you're a God follower, when they find out you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your boss should celebrate knowing that I have just, I have just hired, I've just taken into my business someone who is fully trustworthy, who's going to be on time, who's going to work late, who's going to work hard, who's going to go the extra mile, because they're going to represent Jesus well. I'm not sure everyone espouses that today. But if I am, and if you are, if you and I are the only example that the world, if we're the only chance the world has to see Jesus, then we have to be faithful to be Jesus, to do what he would do, to work like he would work, to live as he would live. You know what that word is called? It's called Faithfulness. Do you know that "faithful" is actually an art term? Now you're looking at a guy who hated. When I was in college, I had to take fine arts art. I hated it so much I took it twice. I hated it, <laughs> hated it. But if you take, if you take a, a, an original picture, sculpture, painting, whatever, and then someone makes a copy of it, whether they paint their own copy and you put it beside each other if the copy looks like the original they say the copy is faithful but if there's a lot of a lot of dis, disparating qualities if there's a lot of if there's a lot of things that look different they would say that's not Faithful. How many understand that we're being, when, when, when the word calls us to be faithful to Jesus, that means that there's any deviations between being the Lord, I'm supposed to submit those deviations to Him. Not because I'm trying to make people happy, but because I'm trying to make Jesus happy. Not because I'm trying to make myself happy, but because I'm trying to make Jesus happy. But many people in the world today, Christians included, our main goal is always to make us happy or to make people happy, and to make Jesus happy is a long way down the list. But if we're going to be people that live for God in an ungodly world, we have to elevate the priority of pleasing Jesus first. Yeah. And there's three examples. If you don't like what you've heard so far, you're not going to like this part either. There's three examples of where Jesus teaches us the principle of submission, or submitting. There's three things he gives us in this text. Here's the first thing he says. He says, citizens submit. To ungodly governments. I didn't figure anybody would shout right there. (laughs) Secondly, he says, wives submit to ungodly husbands. And then he says, servants submit to ungodly masters. And I cut this one out, but I'll put it back in because you might at least agree with this one. But in a different part of the Bible, how me understand it teaches children to honor dishonorable parents. Right? You teach your kids, you don't obey me because, you don't honor me because I do everything right. We honor because we want the honor of God upon us. So that's, that's a... It's a challenge to us to be the best citizen we can be, the best spouse we can be, the best worker we can be, the best citizen we can be, the best child we can be, even if it means that we're submitting to someone who is a jerk, ungodly, unintelligent, making bad choices. See, submission is not based on the character of the person above us, but rather submission is based on the character of Jesus Christ Inside of us. If submission is based on, well, if I agree with the person, then no one would ever submit to anyone. Who's the example? Well, Jesus submitted to death on a cross. So that the work of the Father could be on display. See, what submission often does, it takes what we try to work out, and it puts it in the hands of Jesus so he can work it out. So he can work it out. That's what it means to submit. Matter of fact, when Jesus called his first disciples in Matthew chapter 16: 24, here's what he said. He said, "If anyone's going to follow after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross. You know what the image of a cross is? Sacrifice and submission." How many understand that Jesus at any moment could have spoken a word and thousands of angels come and rescued him from the scene of the crucifixion? The only reason Jesus went to the cross, listen to this, if you, don't, if you, if you misunderstood this, get it clear today. Jesus was not the victim of cruel men. He submitted to death on a cross so that the will of the Father could be accomplished. Why should he and I ever submit to anything on planet Earth so it's not our will being done? It's the will of the Father. And understand when Peter writes this, write this, he he, he is writing to people who are living under the rule of Roman government. I mean, Rome was no friend to Jesus or to the church. At best, they were antagonistic towards the early church. At worst, they were routine persecutors of the church. But Peter says, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church, submit to them even if they're ungodly. Now, some people have taken this to think, well, if Jesus is, or the word is saying for us to submit to ungodly spouses and ungodly uh, masters and ungodly governments, then I guess, I guess God is, is okay with those systems. Well, no, God's not okay with that. He's not okay. Well, that's why the Word tells us things like, you know, if a spouse is in a relationship and there's adultery or abuse, and that spouse has the right to, to leave, that's why, uh, that's why there's, but Peter does give us a, a blueprint on how to be used by God to while we're in those systems to influence them for the better. Now, in the Old Testament, we have an example of a man named Joseph. How many of you heard of Joseph before, right? The coat, the guy that got the coat, many colors, right? Um, I'm going to name two people today out of the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel. There's two things these men have in common first thing that I'll tell you they have in common is that there's, there's no scripture in all of God's word that impugns any sort of deceit or sin in Daniel or Joseph. They're the most honorable two men in all the Old Testament. So I think it's important to understand who it is we're talking about this morning. But in the Old Testament, Joseph was a child of promise, right? He had a dream as a kid that one day he would rule... And he shared that dream. From a kid, he had the favor of his dad and the favor of God. But the favor of God and the favor of his dad caused trouble in his life. How many understand that sometimes the favor of God will cause you trouble? Go back and read your Bible wherever you want to. Old Testament, New Testament. More times than not, you're going to discover that the favor of God will bring trouble to your life. Well, pastor, why would I ever want the favor of God? because what it produces beyond the favor is pretty awesome, all right? But before it produces the dream, it produces a nightmare, right? Mary, favorite of God, didn't seem favorable. She was shunned by her whole community when she was found pregnant. Joseph, favor of God. What does the favor do for him? Favor of God's called him to be sold into slavery. Favor of God called him to be lied upon by his his master's wife. Favor of God called him to be put into prison. Favor of God called him to be forgotten about by men who said would rescue him. All of this was because of the favor of God upon his life. But despite the fact that that Joseph's life was going 100 miles per hour in the wrong direction, though it didn't look favorable, favorable at all, what brought Joseph from the pit to the palace was he submitted to God and to the authorities of his life all along the way. And the word says if you will humble yourselves before God, then he will take control of lifting you up in due season. But when we refuse to submit to the authorities of our life, what we're doing is we're taking God's ability to bless us out of his hands. See, we have to believe. The only reason I'm ever going to submit to anybody is if I believe that God has a bigger plan than what I see in front of me. And no matter what you're facing today, what you see or you don't see, here's a reality I know to be true for all of us. God has a bigger plan than what you see in front of you. So there's two reasons why we submit. Number one, we submit our lives in hopes that people will be won to Jesus by our lifestyle. Jesus said, live your lives Before people, let your light so shine before people that they will see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. And we got to determine we're going to submit even if it brings persecution and hardship to our lives. How many understand if you're, let's just, I'm seeing the clock and I know i got to hurry. How many would just say sin makes you stupid? Right? Sin makes you stupid. All of us in this room, we've probably done some stupid things. It is it's because sin led us that direction. Sin makes you stupid. Makes you stupid choices. And guess what? If you're married to a sinner, you're going to reap the benefits of stupid. Is that too honest? Is that too honest? If you work for an unbeliever, you're going to reap the benefits of someone making decisions from an unbelieving mind. You picking up what I'm putting down? If, if you are in a country where the government is making ungodly, anti-biblical decisions, you and I are going to have to pay the tax for those decisions. Right? The Bible shares several people had to do so. Paul, the apostle Paul, he gets on a ship. He tells the captain in the book of Acts, the Lord has told me we should not sail. If we do, we're going to crash. They said, you're just an unintelligent believer. Be quiet, get in your jail, sh- get in your jail cell and be quiet. And guess what happened? The ship was torn apart. It crashed because they didn't believe. But guess what? Paul didn't throw a fit. He submitted. David had to serve in the house of Saul when Saul is throwing spears at him. He had a chance to kill Saul, and he didn't. He submitted to the, to the leadership of Saul. Brought a lot of, a lot of pain but it also brought the glory of God. Did you know if you will let persecution work out, it'll bring the glory of God to your life? And also, the third reason we've got to submit, or see, we've got to submit, is because we have to realize there's a cost of not submitting. I'll give you four real quick. If We refuse to submit. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about refusing to submit to the people in our lives. Can, number one, it can cause our prayers to be hindered. Did you know that? Our everyday choices can either enhance our prayers or hinder our prayers. Number two, our testimony can be limited. Here's a third cost of not submitting. The blessing of God can be squandered. And fourth, when we refuse to submit, our punishment is justified. Right? If I am driving home from church today and I get pulled over by one of our wonderful civil servants, and I'm doing 85 in a 45, do you know what my job is to say to that kind gentleman or woman who pulls me over? My job is to say this, thank you. I deserve it. Right? There's really no way out of that. But when I submit to it, then the blessings come. Privileges come. Number two. Turn to your neighbor. And say, "I'm glad he's done with that." <laughs> Y'all got that? Or you need me a backup note again. <laughs> got it. Number two. Number one, be the best citizen you can. Number two, be the best citizen you can be. As long as you can be. Peter said, even if you should suffer what's right, you're blessed. But don't fear their threats, and don't be frightened by what they're frightened with. There's an implied meaning in that sentence. I hope you're hearing. Someone would ask, well, pastor, is is there ever a time in the Christian's life where they should not submit to what an ungodly world, to a path, an ungodly world is leading them down? Yes, there is a point. We should be the best citizen we can be. As long as we can be. But at some point, there comes a time when being inst- instead of being persecuted for your faith, it's being dem- demanded of you to renounce your faith. You understand that? And when your faith goes from being persecuted to the point it's going to cause you to renounce, that you believe in God, that you're going to follow His Word, then that moment you must switch from submitting to standing. Standing. And by the way, you cannot stand until you have first submitted. And there's, there's some things, there's, there's a sentence here that I want you to get. I've never heard this phrase before. Either I made it up or the Lord gave it to me. I don't know which one it is, but I think it's good this morning. I'm not talking about the convictions of your convenience. When I say you've got to stand for the Word of God, We're not standing for what you and I like. We're standing for the word that God says. See, when Megan and I started dating, we discovered there was one thing in our life that we disagreed about. Three-letter word. Four-letter word in the way I'm going to say it. Cats. (laughs) Megan had a cat. She loved cats. She thought everyone ought to have a cat. I told her I hate cats. I don't like cats. I'm allergic to cats. We were driving down the road one day. On the side of the road was a cat. I don't know if it was asleep or dead, but I just looked at it and said, good kitty. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, you know what? I don't think you're even allergic to cats. I just think you say that so we don't have to ever have one. Until finally someone invited us for dinner that had a cat and my eyes swelled shut and then she got to thinking. I'm just, sometimes, sometimes she was assuming that my conviction was just out of convenience. It was convenient for me to say I'm allergic to cats. It was convenient for me to say you understand what I'm putting down today? There's a difference between what you and I wish was and what the Word of God actually says. And we've got to One of the reasons we gotta be people of the word is you gotta know when to submit and you gotta know when to stand, or you'll find yourself trying to stand when you should be submitting and we will find ourselves submitting when we should be standing because sometimes it's funner to stand when you should submit and it's easier to submit when you should stand and the only way you're going to know the difference friend of mine is if you read the word of God let it find a lodging place in your heart and say I'm going to follow the word of God no matter how popular it is (laughs) now that's the best thing I've said from this pulpit and maybe ever So take that 30 seconds from the podcast and replay it over and over and over again. Look at the life of Daniel. Have you ever told your kids the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Then you have just preached what I'm preaching today. Let me just remind you who Daniel was. Number one, Daniel was a slave. Did you tell your kids that when you told them the story? Daniel was not from the royal family of Nebuchadnezzar. He was not from that kingdom at all. Daniel was a captured slave. Daniel was trying to live for God in a godless world. Daniel was away from all sources of accountability. Most people who were in Daniel's shoes were just going with the flow. But Daniel's, like I said earlier, one of the most Honorable characters in the Word of God. Even his critics knew there was no way to trip him up unless it had something to do with his God. He was a captured servant. He served, here's another thing, he served a pagan government. He dealt with his captures respectfully. And he submitted to serving them with excellence. He didn't just try to go along to get along. Nebuchadnezzar, that godless king, had no one in his arsenal of servants he trusted like Daniel. Think about it. That was the result of Daniel's life. Even when his diet was going to impede his faith, Daniel gave God a chance to show up. He said, hey, listen, just give give me a trial run. Let me stand for my convictions, and and if it doesn't work, then I'll submit to you. He, He honored God, and, of course, God showed up. But when the law came that said, listen, if you pray to anyone except for the king or what he sets up, you're going to be thrown into that lion's den. Daniel switched from submitting to standing right? And he didn't stand with a sign on the city square, though you may have to do that at some point. He didn't stand by causing attention to himself. He stood by being the person God called him to be, living by the convictions he'd always lived by. And when the law said you're not allowed to pray, Daniel kept praying. See, we are going to have to endure persecution if we follow Jesus long enough. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But we must revolt against evil. I'm thankful that a couple decades ago that some Christians decided that they would... The laws of our land decided all of a sudden, it's okay to kill babies. Right? We've already, we've already walked this out, but our walking this out isn't finished yet. Several decades ago, someone made a law in our nation that is now okay to kill babies. Thankfully, the church and many champions like Miss Vicky in our church, many champions rose to the occasion and said, it doesn't matter what the law says. God's law says that we honor life. God's law says that there's a miracle in that baby. And so people stood, believers stood. And after decades, the law finally changed. Thank God for that. Hey Amen. thank God for that. I received an email this week that said just in the few few short months since Roe versus Wade has been overturned, in just a few short months, there's over 30,000 babies that have already been saved because the church decided to be the church and to not submit but rather to stand. We've got to know the difference between when to submit and when to stand, and it's not by what we feel or think or see. It's according to God's Word. And by the way, for centuries, for all the naysayers that may be listening to our podcast, the church has been leading the way in adoption and foster care for centuries and still is today. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the same class of servants as Daniel and they were revered by the king, almost as much as Daniel was. They were the greatest servants and citizens they could be for as long as they could be. But when the edict was given you worship this idol or you're thrown into the fiery furnace, their response reminds us to listen, we're not going to bow. You can persecute us, but we're not going to bow. Our God is able to rescue us, but if He doesn't, we're not going to bow. Well, Pastor, that's wonderful. That's Old Testament stuff. Well, you know, Peter was called on the carpet for being used by God to see a lame man healed. And they told him in Acts chapter 4 that he should never preach the word of Jesus again. How I you mean, understand if you're going to submit to that law, that means you stop sharing the gospel which is what Jesus told us to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So what are you going to do in this instance? Are you going to submit or are you going to stand? Peter said it like this. He said, you decide which is better, for us to obey the words of God or obey the words of man. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. I believe there's times, and we're living, on, we're living in them right now, all of us are living in them right now, where we have to constantly evaluate, is this a perse- is this a season of persecution that I'm supposed to submit to, so that God and His glory can be seen and His plan can be established, or is this a scenario where I'm being asked to compromise, and I've got to stand? And the only way you're going to know which way to do and which way to turn is if you're a person of the Word. And you let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and direct you. I'm out of time, but if I was going to preach to you you more, this is what I'd say. Number three, be prepared. Make if you want to come, it'll let them think I'm quitting. David, if you want to send Crystal a text and let her know he's preaching. He says in your hearts, always be prepared. Say that word with me, be prepared. Are you prepared to give an answer when, Jesus, when someone asks you why are you going to church on Sunday? Are you prepared to give an answer when someone says why don't you just fudge those numbers at work? Are you prepared to give an answer when someone tells you why in the world would you keep your mouth shut when that person just said that thing to you? Are you prepared to give an answer why you, you are full of hope when the stock market's crashing and the world is spinning and things are going opposite of what you think, what is this hope inside of you? The Word says be prepared to answer. See, here's the thing. If you and I will submit when we're supposed to submit, stand where we're supposed to stand, people are going to start asking all kinds of questions to you and I. Because our light, we're, it's like we're going to be wearing road construction apparel, right? We're going to be, we're going to stand out. We're going to stick out in this dark world. I was sharing with someone the other day and I was telling them how, how much their testimony impacted me and the person responded, they said, oh man, that was so raw. I was telling them they need to share it again. And I said, it was so raw, I, I, I got I to gotta work on it before I share it again. I said, no, don't work on it. People need to hear the rawness of how God changed your life and how you stood and how God has blessed you. People, if you will stand, if I will stand when I need to stand and submit when I need to submit, there will be an army of people that say, I want to know what it is about you. Tell me what, what it is that's made the difference in your family. And number four, and refuse to live in fear. Don't fear what they fear. How can I stand when I need to stand? How can I submit when I need to submit? You can only do it when I decide that I don't fear what people say. I don't fear what the economy says. I don't fear what the government says. I don't fear what my neighbor says. I only fear one thing, and that is this. What does God say? I live to please Him. Jesus said, don't set your heart on what you eat, what you're going to drink, the things of this world. He says, don't worry about it. That's what the pagans worry about. You worry about following me. How do I live a godly life in an ungodly world? It requires me to realize that I have, and you have, every one of us as Jesus followers, you and I have a different source than the source of this world. Amen? He can cause water to come out of a rock, if that's what it takes to supply water to you. He can cause ravens into the wilderness, if that's what it requires for you. He can give you shoes that don't wear out. If that's what's required of you. That's the only way when we realize we have a different source. And I would say this. Sometimes we think, okay, we got a different source. we got a different source. we got a different source. But sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing it justice when I say that. What I should say is this. You and I have a better source. How many believe that Jesus is a better source than what the world provides? How many believe that he has a better way for us? The world, the, what the world can provide. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Two, two things I want to pray about. Number one, you say, Pastor, I'm here today and I'm going through some persecution because of my faith. I've been singled out, maybe in your family. It happens. I've seen it happen. Maybe in your job. I've seen it happen. Say, Pastor, I am being persecuted because of my faith on your job in your school. And say, Pastor, I need strength because I want Jesus to be seen even through this hard season that I'm in. If that's you today, would you let me pray for you? I'm not gonna call you up front, but I'd love to pray for you. Would just lift a hand real quick? Amen. Amen. It's a real deal. It's a real thing. I've heard stories of how some of our students, as young as elementary age, are being persecuted for just trying to stand for God. Number two, I'm needing to take a stand for righteousness. There, there is a push. This is not that I'm being persecuted for what I believe. This is a push for me to compromise what I believe. And it's come from push to shove. This is not about persecution. This is about I need to stand for righteousness. Righteousness in your family, on your job, in your school. Maybe you've been fearful, but there's been a line drawn on the sand, and you know, I can't, I can't be quiet any longer. I can't go along any longer. I'm not trying to cause a, cause a stir. I'm just trying to be faithful. And you know that God's calling you to take a stand for faithfulness in an area of your life. He you said, Pastor, I need strength to stand. Where God tells me to stand. If that's you today, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you as well. Amen? Amen? Amen. This is serious stuff. All of us, for the rest of our lives, we're going to always pray and weigh when do I need to submit? When do I need to stand? And none of those decisions can be made out of fear of what people think, what others are going to say. Or what it may cost me personally. It must always be made out of what brings glory and honor to God. So I want to pray for those who lifted their hands this morning. Father, I'm thankful that your word never returns void, but always goes forth to accomplish what you meant for it to accomplish. Lord, there are people who are making the decision today that they're not going to press eject just because the furnace has been turned up. They're going to continue to Submit to you, stand for you. Others today are determining they're not gonna they're not gonna bow down, but they're gonna stand for you. God, either case, if it's a season of enduring persecution or an opportunity to take a stand for you, I pray both both jobs will be done with fear of the Lord, not fear of people. And you would grant to these brothers and sisters today the strength to the street to endure until their persecution turns out into the promise of God. And I pray that you also give us the boldness to stand when we've called, when we been called to stand for you. We're not going to fear what other people fear. Our main concern is pleasing God. Our main concern is hearing the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I pray over the people today. God, I pray you will Give them the power to submit when they needed to, stand when they need to, and to always live a life that is wrapped in faith in God, never fear of man. Help us to live godly lives in a godless world. So God, I pray that you'll bless the people. Lord, bless them, keep them, let your face shine upon them, give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. God bless you. Hey, if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to greet you and meet you on your way out today. God bless you. Thanks for being part of the assembly. We love you. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.